0: I do like blood sausage, but it made me uncomfortable when you said it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenicast. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me as always are my co-hosts, Mona and Alan. We are post-evangelical ministers and theological thinkers grappling with our place in the progressive Christian world. Thank you for joining us for another conversation on faith and culture. This week, we are going to talk about Prophecy, I guess more accurately, the prophetic. And for our segment, we are going to be bringing back Title Me This. So when we talk about the prophetic, we're talking about, um, I think, number one is anytime someone mentions prophecy, I think that the misnomer is that it is future telling, right?
0: Yes and no.
2: Wait, what else could it be?
1: <laughs> if so,
2: it's not uh, about the future, no. I'm giving you a prophecy about what already happened. <laughs> Ooh, there will be a great war.
0: I guess that's a good place to start, kind of defining what we see prophecy being or the the function of prophecy. I, I used to think the prophecy was just future telling, but after studying like prophetic books in the in the Hebrew Bible, the function of the prophet in Israel, and then looking at the New Testament with some of those lenses, like prophecy is people call it speaking truth to power or um, Walter Brueggemann, I think in his book, prophetic imagination talks about it being the, the vocation of the prophet, keeping alive the imagination, the ministry of imagination and proposing alternative futures to the one that the, the king proposes. So officially prophecy was, critiquing the status quo it's like a challenge to the status quo with a different vision of the future in mind so it's not necessarily uh this is going to happen in the future but a critique of the world that is presented by the kingdom or whatever so there's different ways to look at it it doesn't have to be magic-y it could be um functional yeah you know
1: well it's no more magic than a uh, astute social commentator that has seen history play itself out over and over again and can say like, this is pretty likely to happen if we don't shift direction and do this. Maybe.
0: <laughs> I think I'd probably just Well, I'm you. sure you'll, I put, there's... <laughs> you'll, you'll put
1: God in there or something like that. But yeah, whatever. Yeah. No.
0: <laughs> yeah I, I, think, I think the primary role of prophecy is like the articulation of another world, like the dreaming of another world. So when you hear people like uh, Martin Luther King Jr. saying, I have a dream, he's actually speaking – prophecy that is in line with the spirit of God. Like, uh, his dream at the time contradicted the present world, the laws, the communities, um, even the people who use the Bible against what he was speaking of. He's, he dreamed of this other world that had the beloved community filled with people that crossed racial boundaries. And so like that right there, I would call prophecy. Yes. It's talking about the future. It's moving toward justice. Um, but I believe that it is like the activity of the Spirit of God in conjunction with, like Jeff is saying, human commentary on culture and ethics or whatever.
2: But that's a progressive view of prophecy. There's also a fundamentalist. Sure. There's like two, I want to say two major streams of prophecy that would, and I love what you've laid out. I think that's wonderful. And that's one way to look at it. But I say that's also- the
0: primary rule. I do think that there is a secondary rule, which is probably what you're going to talk about right now. Right.
2: Wouldn't you say that most people who hold that more progressive like alternate view of the future, you know, biblical criticism sort of look uh, tend to be progressive and not really believe in the magic elements of future telling or fortune telling?
0: Kind um, of. Yes and no. I think that there's there's options along that spectrum. It's not like
1: Alan believe, does. Alan. Believes in it. <laughs> I fit right in the middle.
2: <laughs> but okay? it tends to be pretty polarizing, though.
0: Sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I I think that the The primary role of the prophetic is what I kind of just laid out, but for me, the secondary role because like because I'm Trinitarian and because I believe God is articulating in history that you know there is this moment when God will dwell with humanity and that comes in the person of Jesus and so like that kind of future telling in that sense um is a lot like the like you're saying the fundamentalist perspective on prophecy is that God was saying to the israelite people there there will come a day when god dwells with you and like look for it and hope for it and i believe that that happened in christ so although my primary role in interpreting prophecy is one of um challenging the status quo the the spirit being active in a person to like dream up of another world i also believe that that there is sometimes this secondary role of hey god is this is what god's Future is this is what the spirit has promised to do in history, and so there's it's kind of a both and thing for me.
1: But I get really
0: uncomfortable because sometimes that's <laughs> super abused, and I mean,
1: you're telling me I grew up Pentecostal. <laughs> I mean that <laughs> basically prophecy is the foundation of all apologetics, right? Like here are all right. the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, and here's how yeah. they came through, and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And I think that the problem when we associate, for me at least, in in the stuff that I've read, because uh, I've read. Brugemann's prophetic imagination. And I recently read a really great book by, um, what was her name? Uh, Ellen Davis called Biblical Prophecy. And she lays out this really good foundation for, I think, a good, good way to view prophecy. But one of the things she says in the beginning is that the message of the prophet is very concrete and super hyper relevant to its own context. It's not about future telling. It's about creating what kind of what you were saying, Alan, that idea of like this ideal future, but really expecting things to change for the the here and the now and the better. And I guess that's the, you know, the here and now aspect of kingdom and prophecy and all that stuff. But,
2: but, uh, but I'm going to argue that that's a very different mode than a, fun, what I'll call a fundamentalist sense of prophecy, which is not, it doesn't have anything to do with, we can dream of a different future. It's that there is a cosmic future that's inevitable and we have to accept it and prepare for it. And it's not an imaginative process. It's, the, it's like the opposite.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, sort of. I think those things go together though. I believe
1: uh, they
2: okay. could, particularly,
0: yeah. particularly in the New Testament. Um, I think it's worth saying in the Hebrew Bible. Jeff, you said that sometimes Christians, you know, point to Old Testament "quote unquote" passages that talk about Jesus or prophecy that was fulfilled by this historical event or that one. And sometimes, a more critical understanding of those books and texts, you realize that you know, this text, like Isaiah, for instance, is an amalgamation of a lot of different texts written over um, different periods of time. So, it's not like you can just take it as f- at face value and say, oh, this is the prophet speaking before it happened, so therefore the Bible is true, right? Like, that's that's a very um, simplistic way of, of reading that. But I think, particularly in the New Testament, when it talks about prophecy, like in Revelation or some of the more apocalyptic parts of like Thessalonians, uh, it's addressing the status quo that itself was cosmic, right? You look at, um, the way the Roman empire envisioned itself and the emperor is this like son of God and, uh, mediates God's relationship with the world. And it's all encompassing of the whole divine cosmos. And so when the prophet in the new Testament stands to, to critique that in the spirit of God, it's like that critique has to be cosmic, you know what i mean it has to reach the the level that that it is critiquing so i think mm. um so we sometimes we like read that and we read it into different contexts and we forget like well what are they even critiquing you know what i mean what what is what is this prophecy doing so there's um there's an important element of realizing that i don't know who who, who did you say said that jeff that it's hyper relevant for the context that it's in I I really like that.
1: It was from, uh, I don't think that was the exact wording, but uh, that was from Ellen Davis's biblical prophecy book. Okay.
0: Well, that's cool.
1: Yeah.
2: You guys, uh, it was, it's so funny yesterday in the mail. I, I received this pamphlet. It's, it's almost like they knew we were going to record this conversation. Like someone had, a revel- <laughs> someone had a revelation. I got this pamphlet in a mail for like an upcoming prophetic thing. And it's got like a nice big picture. Like it's a really professional. It almost looks like a business brochure. A nice big picture of the city I live in and everything. And it's, it's like, find answers to all your questions. A new day is dawning. Can, can God be trusted seeing the signs? And why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Continuing topics include experiencing peace, the United States in prophecy, making sense of the mark of the beast and the return of Jesus—fact or fiction? So it's like advertising to people to come to this thing and like get all their answers filled and like learn about prophecy. And I don't know. It just—I love everything you guys have said, and I, I'm having to check this immense like, like tide of anger that's like welling <laughs> up for me because I feel like this has been so harmful for so many people. Yes. But prophecy is just it's not limited to only Christianity. Fundamentalist prophecy is like it's really important right now in jihadist ISIS kind of style mm-hmm. Islam where they're interpreting these really old texts in ways that they think is for today and taking extreme action. And I don't see how, you know, going to Syria to help fight is different than like selling all your belongings and waiting for for the return of Jesus, it's like, it's got this, to me, it's got the same kernel. I mean, maybe that's offensive to some people. But it's got the same kernel of ideology within it. It's like this uncritical belief in a magical future telling. So I I don't know. I, I'm having a hard time talking about this, to be honest.
0: <laughs> it's funny because I'm still there, though. Like, I, I, it would be nice to say, hey, that's just fundamentalist, but that's also partially me. I still read, like, the history of God and the future of God uh, into the way I live in the here and now I'm not selling all my belongings and, you know, believe Jesus is coming back right now. And all those things, I think that's a misappropriation of, uh, texts that are ancient and trying to force them to be relevant in this, you know, present day and age. And, uh, that, that always bothers me, right? The United States and revelation <laughs> who are like, let's, let's grab the newspaper and look at the headlines and see if there's signs of the times of Jesus coming back and the tribulation. And, um, that gets poisonous, not not just for ISIS, but for Christians, too.
2: No, no, no. I'm saying, like, yeah, this is right? like a global phenomenon. That is what phenomenon. you're saying. Mm-hmm.
0: But, but yeah. specifically, the I have to say, the reason it bothers me so much is I have heard from the lips of ministers uh, that peace in the Middle East is a bad thing because it signals the coming of the Antichrist. So, however they, like construct their vision of the future based on these prophecies and however they interpret revelation has led them to actually oppose peace which is crazy to me (laughs) it's the opposite of or
2: to try to like rebuild the second temple because they think that will hurry jesus coming back there are christian zionistic groups doing that kind of stuff too so
0: and they want to kick palestinians out of their homes and restore israel and do terribly horribly unjust stuff so it's you're right. It is a problem.
1: And that's why I think it's important for us to talk about this, because I think maybe the word prophecy or prophet or whatever gives us that impression more, especially for me. And because I grew up in Pentecostalism, so the the word prophetic or prophecy were thrown around a lot. But I really I really like the way, you know, if you if you ever listen to Cornel West speeches or some of this read some of his writings, he uses the word like prophetic movement in connection with Martin Luther King Jr.'s um, Mm -hmm. civil rights. And I think that when I hear the prophetic now, I think slowly over time because I've maybe indoctrinated myself with another side of it but that's what it feels like to me it's that idea of justice it's that idea of peacemaking it's that that aggressive peacemaking that Jesus talks about in in the sermon on the mount and that it's informed peacemaking it's not something that is i'm just reacting to the situation there's a, there's an intelligence behind it there's a there's a meaning and a purpose beti- behind the events that are that are happening it wasn't just martin luther king saying you know let's try this gimmick of nonviolence it was part of bringing out that message. It reminds me of when the, you know, the prophets of the of the Hebrew scriptures, they did all these random things, especially Ezekiel, to kind of highlight and bring to attention what is happening there. It's It's aggressive and it's counterculture because I think that typically if we're talking about that prophetic movement existing here today, it is always existing from someone that almost can't have ties to any kind of institution because it will automatically put barriers on their message. They may crash through those barriers, but if someone is rece- like a pastor can't necessarily act in the sense of a prophet because they have other things to worry about, you know what I mean? Like money and people coming in. So there's this, it's this counterculture, intelligent movement towards justice. And I think that that's an important aspect of at least people coming from perhaps a more conservative background or no background in Christianity tend to hear more prophecy in the context of the end of the world. Hornets are like helicopters and all that stuff.
0: I, that, that's really interesting. After hearing you say that, I think what bothers me so much about prophecy being, let's interpret the sign of the times with revelation is that it's not intelligent about the times, right? It's not intelligent about what's here. And now it's like a very cheap appeal to like false equivalencies and stuff like that. What you're talking about is the, the prophet understands the way the world is right now, understands it really well, and can critique it in a way that speaks that understanding. Yeah. and more right? importantly, and doesn't understand the
1: times, but understands the people that are most marginalized by the times.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so when I hear Mona uh, being invited to an End Times Prophecy Conference, it's like, that is the definition of disconnected from the injustice in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, is the United States going to play this role in it? Well, let's actually talk about the United States in a prophetic way. Let's look at the injustice that has been propped up by the machine and the prophetic will critique that stuff, right? In the name of a new world. So I think that's that's got to be what it is.
2: Well, Pro- it seems like it seems like to me that when people who don't have a lot of biblical criticism training read prophetic books, they see they read these books as a preference for a chosen people and they appropriate that into Christianity. So I think a lot of times it turns into maybe conversations about injustice, but it's like injustice for Christians. It's like Christians' voices being suppressed and martyrdom and and uh pr- persecution and it's not a holistic look at justice and building a better world f- world for everybody. It's it's a hyper focus on on Christians and, and losing ground or um trying you know, trying to make the church uh basically um be a microcosm of the whole world and make the church empower and things like that. So
0: Because it's interpreted through a worldview. I I don't like that word. I think we've said that before, but it's interpreted through this like, um, cosmic war that's happening between the world and the church. Right. And they, there's, um, Text taken from the book of revelation, which are talking about the Roman empire and critiquing the Roman empire and applied to like the entire world is against the church and the church has to battle against them. And this is going to wage on that should sound familiar. Cause that sounds like ISIS almost right. Like that's the exact sort of, uh, language and rhetoric that's used in their telling of the future of the world. Not that Christians are, you know, doing the same thing or whatever, but it's, it's interesting that, um, It it does make sense. It's a trademark
2: of fundamentalism, right? It's a trademark of fundamentalism to uh, reify ideologies that bring people together and unite against a common enemy. That's that's like a trademark, right? Like it's us versus the world or us versus them, um, and that that makes the community incredibly close knit and powerful. But it's Um,
0: it's also super cheap, especially especially in like the era that we're we're in is just barely post. American Christendom. You, you rewind the clock like 50 years and we're like the seat of, of power in American social um, life. And so to, to hear people who had power once losing power, like lamenting the fact that we don't have as much as we did before. Like that's not the voice of prophecy, right? That's the voice of like a kid having their candy taken away. I don't know. But the, I, I, for me, prophecy is, is best. When you look at instances like the the book of Isaiah, right, Isaiah chapter 22, and in Chronicles, Hezekiah building the wall around Jerusalem is praised. That's awesome. He's protecting the the promised land. You know, the the king is establishing the world as it should be. This is the status quo that needs to be protected. And in Isaiah chapter 22, that's actually criticized. Like the, the king is criticized for destroying the homes that were connected to the wall and i i've been to israel and i stood at the base of that exact wall that's been uh, excavated and thought about like what is the prophetic right like, what 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 is the role of the prophet um the role of the chronicler of the official church history is to like praise the kings uh established reign and the role of the prophet is to critique it and i see that in the church right now like there are people who are chronicling church history or chronicling like the, the role of the church in the world and trying to protect its ground. And then there are the prophetic voices, which are like, you know, what, actually we need to totally relook at how we've done church. And so prophecy for me is actually a really powerful thing um, when it's not equated with the cheap stuff that we, uh, <laughs> that we hear and we've come from.
2: Well, may- what come makes from. it cheap for you though? Uh,
0: what makes it cheap for me is the left behind series. That's that was on like, number one and number four on the New York Times bestseller list, the sensationalism.
2: Yeah, okay, but okay, let me let me counter argue for a second because there are so many people who earnestly believe that the rapture is coming, you know? So for them it doesn't feel sensational. Like for them it's like very realistic. Even though it's like, in my opinion, like bad literature and it's like horrible. use of biblical text, but it like it, for a lot of people that stuff is very real and possible, which is terrifying. Hmm.
1: I think it I think it goes deeper than that. I think really the misappropriation of it, it's not necessarily the extreme, you know, easy to spot weird philosophy about what revelation means and applying all these things to the thing to to modern contexts in really strange ways. Um, but it's more about A misunderstanding of what justice is and a misunderstanding of how much hard work it is. Uh, The thing that I think of right now is right now I'm on staff at a United Methodist Church, and the United Methodist Church is going through a lot, specifically centering around the LGBTQ community. And towards the beginning of our podcast, we interviewed two of our congregants, Jim and Richard, a gay couple who have been going through the struggle over and over again within the UMC about inclusiveness and allowing people to, and it's kind of coming to a climax that difficult fight. And you have people who are progressive who would, who would line with what we kind of talk about on this show as this is what's important, but in order to maintain unity, in order to maintain the system, we really need to just wait and let God move. And, the minute that we are in the systems that the prophets are challenging, then we, we water down our sense of justice instead of saying, no, like this structure, this organization, whatever it is, is not as important as the people who are being hurt by it. And I think that it takes someone who's separated from it to a certain extent, but also intimately connected with the people that are being oppressed to really step out and be the prophet move in the prophetic and say, no, it doesn't matter what is important for the structure. It matters what's important for justice and for people.
0: And you can look at that outside of the church. So the prophets who are critiquing the present world, the world system that I love are the ones who are seeing the way that that it has hurt. Um, Neocapitalism and uh, all sorts of things, corporate greed that is uh, destroying lives in other parts of the world, the, the spirit of the prophetic, the spirit of God, I do believe, actually does continue to speak through people who function as prophets when they call that out.
1: And I think that so it's an important aspect of that is them being on the outside on a cer- at a certain level, because you, I don't know, you know, money, power, all that stuff affects the message. And if you look at people that we would consider prophets in our modern context, a lot of them aren't associated with a church or a denomination because I think they recognize the difficulty of that and we have to have that it's almost this cosmic checks and balances we have to have people outside of the systems and I wonder if checks and balances within any system is possible
2: no I think that's congruent actually with the biblical understanding of prophecy prophets were never almost never priests exactly Um, so there's a lineage in biblical writings of kind of these two arms that check and balance each other there's the, the priest the priestly the people that maintain the ritual aspects of the religion and then there's a prophet who are constantly testing and making sure that the priestly are doing their job. So the priestly are like carrying out the day-to-day things and the prophets have to be outside, like you said, outside that Flipping system. tables. Which is why it's so revolutionary that <laughs> yeah. Jesus
1: was referred to as the prophet, priest, and king because before exactly. that, yeah. those things weren't in one.
0: Right. And and so I, I, I think in addition to it being so hard to do actually the work of the prophet, so we settle for um, easier ways of, who was it? Bernard of Clairvaux, I think uh, one one voice in church history, medieval history, said, uh, "If you want to embrace this, on top of my head, if you want to embrace the work of the prophet, you don't need a scepter. What you need is a hoe, a garden hoe. You have to do like the hard work, not the easy one." So I, I agree, Jeff, that a lot of times we result we resort to cheap forms of understanding prophecy in American culture because real justice and real prophetic work is honestly too hard and it's too divisive right it threatens the um the establishments that we have that we cherish in church uh but on the other side of things I also think that end times prophecy in particular is like a reaction to modernism it's it's going back to pre-modernism to ancient ways of thinking um shrinking back from a world that has like largely lost God if you look at the rise of uh the rapture and end times theology and all that stuff it happened during modernism when god like had less and less space in the world in in terms of science and society and uh w- when churches latch on to some of these ancient texts and and demand that they be applicable to our present world in like Equivalent ways, one for one. There is no like critical work being done. This is just this is the United States that's being talked about in Revelation. What it is, is it's an appeal to a pre-modern thought where God is active in the world. And so for me, I read uh Left Behind series because I got excited this is personal. I got excited that God could be proven in the world. Like if I woke up one day and I saw the mark of the spirit on people's foreheads. Like, I would know God's real. Or if we could point to something and say, that's the mark of the beast, it'd be like, oh, hey, all this is actually real. The Bible's real. God's real. Because we have uh, proof in front of us in the real world. And so, it's this uneasiness with the modernism. And so, that's why I think it's cheap, is it's not doing the hard work of like, hey, why why does it look like God's not present here? So, like, for
1: you, the left behind was the equivalent of there are no more cookies on the plate when you wake up on Christmas morning. <laughs>
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess so. That that was part of it. But, but it, but it was like a bolster for my faith, you know?
2: Oh, sure. Like reinforce everything you've been taught to think and believe Mm -hmm. in. But I want to go back to something for a sec. You said earlier um, that you thought that prophecy that's very like personalized and like. Christian-centric and stuff like that is cheap because it doesn't want to do the hard work of social justice. Mm. I honestly don't think that it's a cop-out for a lot of people. I honestly think that people have been taught to spiritualize that stuff and think um, that... When the kingdom of God, seriously, this is the belief that when the kingdom of God comes and Jesus actually reigns and returns, like there, like all these social issues that we have now, like social, you know, racism, poverty, all that stuff, like that will be wiped out. So they're not even going to bother with that stuff. They're just going to pray more because Jesus will fix it. Like, honestly, that's the belief. So, So
0: I do believe God will. So I just have to throw this in there. I do believe there is a future. Uh, I do believe there's a resurrection. I do believe Jesus will be with us, present, and that the things we face will not will no longer be, and all will be well, as Teresa of Avila says. But for me, that doesn't necessarily have to happen next week. It could be billions of years in the future after the heat death of the universe, and God recreates everything. You know what I mean? And that makes a really big difference. I think that. Uh, The prophetic in the present is not saying, let's all just uh, pray because Jesus is coming back and that's the only thing that really necessarily matters. I think the prophetic, you're you're right. I would disagree with people who interpret it that way because the prophetic for me is connecting to injustice and uh, calling out injustice. But you're right. That's a different different way of interpreting it.
2: So it seems like the prophetic will be determined by how you've been taught to anticipate the end.
0: Yes, I think so. Because if it's coming tomorrow, it's not worth fixing the structures that are hurting people, right? It's not worth criticizing.
2: I think, again, uh, this is a different way of thinking now that if you have a social justice consciousness, but it's not about fixing the structures that hurt people because if Jesus can heal people, then you don't fix the structures, you pray for them. Like, it's a completely different way of thinking.
1: I I don't think that—I think that even bringing in the end with prophecy or the prophetic is a misinterpretation of it. Like, I don't think that— I don't think it should be about that. I don't think it should ever be about that. Only in the sense that we as people who believe in God or the gospel or Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ's message is that we believe maybe one day that there's going to be some perfect reality, whatever that looks like in the end, that's fine, but it's more about how do we live right now as though that's true now? Like I I I have a problem with it even being associated with the future because it can too easily go down that Road of oh well we can worry about this later or it'll happen one day and it, and for people that are hurting and for people that are suffering that's not hope that's you're 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 discounting where they're at
0: is. <sighs> for some people it is I, I I've worked as a pastor with people who are in lots of pain and to for, for them that's like a I'm not a talking about people who it. are
1: in pain I'm talking about groups of people who are systematically oppressed on a regular basis
0: I I think the prophet willingly enters into pain to critique. The, the things that cause it because there's this belief that there is a future where that action matters. The, and I think they the enter present, into pain purely
1: in for connection with those that are oppressed. That's, and empathy that's humanism. And that strengthens.
0: Which I think is awesome. But Kurt Vonnegut would say like, humanism is doing good without hope of a, of, of a reward, right? And like, I think that that's fantastic. But the prophetic connects with something a little bit different. At least how I read it is the prophetic is like, The activity in the present uh, of the spirit of God in the present that is connected to this greater reality, this cosmic reality that God is beyond the present. So it's like the the real story, right? But The real story of history is headed toward justice. And so like –
1: that's when,
2: what people call the kingdom of God. But I agree right, with
1: you. I right. agree with you when you say that God is present in this cosmic whatever. I just don't like the fact that we assign time to it because then that makes it feel like God and all those things are separate. But I don't believe that. I believe they're they're here. They're, they're in our reality right. just as much as those bad things are. And the more times we use words like future and far off and cosmic, I think the less connected we feel that that's actually a reality when I believe it is.
0: So e- even the push to talk about like the kingdom and prophecy and stuff with the terms of now and not yet, like the tension of now and not yet at the same time. Does that bother you too? Do you think that like...
1: It's less and less of a tension for me.
0: Mm.
2: So, so prophecy then for you, Jeff, would be like the equivalent of like hard speech, like things that are hard to say, but true and right to say versus looking toward something distantly far off in the future. Exactly. But but it sounds like, Alan, that's something that works for you because the yes. kingdom of God is like a coming eschatological right. uh, uh, cosmic reality is mm-hmm. something that be- resonates that's with God. you.
0: Yeah, th- and that's God, is that God is the cosmic reality that we are headed toward. And I, I don't think like God's pulling history. I think I, I've gone through a lot of personal changes, but it still matters to me to be able to stand up on a Sunday morning and say like, and I do believe this, I believe that every act of goodness or righteousness or mercy or justice uh, is not lost. It's not lost in history. It's actually like, it still persists in the mind of God, and there is a future that it belongs to. You know what I mean? It's yeah, not but on don't its you own. think that
1: on a certain level that makes it feel like it it matters now, kind of, but it's really going to matter later. Like, that's that's that problem, like that mm-hmm. idea of, like, we're pulling towards something. I think that that sometimes can take the wind out of our sails as far as the work except and the change we're doing now.
0: Except when you're critiquing, like, the injustices of other people, because that cuts through all of the uh, explanations that oppressors have for oppressing, right? They, they they have all these justifications, but if you can point to a different world that is real, that is, uh, created by the spirit of God and that we're headed toward, then those actions do have consequences, not just in the heat. You know what I mean? Like there's, I see what you're saying, but there's also this, um, there's this element that there is more than just the present. You know what I mean? There religion, is the future. The, religion the,
2: the, the, has to be able to address the long-term trajectory of certain yes. actions and chains of events and structures of power. So you can or say like, it what that What good way. is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I, I think the people who are the most prescient prophets of our time are climate scientists who yeah. are like beating this drum and saying you guys we have to change or everything is going to die And including you know and in, in right. 50 years we're all going to be like why didn't we listen to those guys we took them outside the city and tried to stone them you know it's, it's so prophecy i think does not look like it does not look like the um you know Ezekiel making the bread out of turds or whatever you know the, the bible's got some weird stuff some really weird and stuff may,
0: and maybe it does maybe there's some client sci- climate scientists who are doing that to in, in in a metaphorical way to to address the um horrible injustice toward the planet and the environment that we're doing right now so maybe there's creative ways of responding but what you're pointing to is like we keep reading these ancient texts with the idea that prophecy is going to come to us in that way and the definition of prophecy is that it is different and surprising, right? And and understands its context and connected so to
1: that context, which is connected yeah. to where you're at. And we're not there anymore, so what it's going to look like has to look something familiar to us.
0: So I do have you to think second the environment thing, by the way? I think
1: that's. So, spot I, on. I agree with that. I think that's a really good example of the modern day prophetic.
2: So if we if we want to access the prophetic today, it seems like people should stop reading the Bible. S-
1: no,
0: sort of. I don't think that.
2: <laughs> but kind, of, but kind I, of. I think
0: that's a foundation. I think that is an important foundation if you're going to do Christian prophetic tradition or the Hebrew prophetic tradition. You're standing in a tradition yes. that has history. And so you're actually like relying upon those things to justify what you're doing. And And that's what happens. You have these little cults that pop up that reinterpret things so out of context that they lose – they lose touch with what the, the prophetic really is, right? And so I think that the the spirit of God doesn't just work in my mind on its own, which maybe it does, right? But the spirit of God, in my opinion, works also through history and through what we've received. So it's not this like completely disconnected thing. It's important to understand the prophetic tradition if we're going to do it right.
1: Yeah, I think the opposite is true. I think it's more of a greater understanding on what the Bible means by pro- prophecy.
0: Yeah.
2: It's but, a, an expanded understanding that, like, you know, the church, the story of the church is still being written.
1: Yes.
0: But you're talking about moving beyond the context of the Bible and actually getting to know our own context in like a really deep way, right? No, like I meant actually and- stop
2: looking at two thousand, three thousand years ago. I mean, understand that stuff. Sure, it's absolutely foundational. It's very good to know that history. But like that stuff's not where that's not the stuff we need to be aware of in this time. Like it's it's what people are discovering now. What science is telling us. What theology and social issues are telling us. Um, what what pol- political science are is telling Telling us, you know, we have so much information at our disposal nowadays that we don't need to be reading these archaic texts for answers. Like we have answers available to us. (laughs) I think we
0: need to read them for a posture, and I think that we have to know know our and we have to know our context to actually do the work of prophets, because prophets don't speak into the wind; they speak to particular situations, like the ones that we're in. Yeah, and you
2: know, like like my some of my favorite ancient writings like the book of Amos it's got incredible ideas yeah. about, about justice and <laughs> I just
0: preached on that and oh, economic
2: so justice in particular really good stuff really good stuff so it's it's great Amos to know six. That it, and sorry. certainly a lot of um you can't just drop
0: you can't just drop a passage of the bible and move on without me getting really excited about it I'm <laughs> I sorry know. Mona
2: well I'm but so lo- stoked I know you're so excited. Well, a lot of current prophets who talk about this stuff will reach back and mine that for gems uh, and ideas and thoughts. But um, really, yeah. So let me ask you this. Does does prophecy always have a negative connotation? Is it always a doomsday thing? Is there other types?
0: I said in my sermon on Amos 6 that, and this is how I read it, that prophecies main function is challenge. And so it does have this like negative biting edge, but that there are occasions where prophecy does comfort. It just doesn't comfort the status quo. It comforts. Yeah. It doesn't comfort the status (laughs) quo.
1: It's absolutely not doomsday for those that are victims of whatever is being challenged. And I think that if there's no, like, like you said, Alan, if there's no challenge, then there's no need for prophecy because we're in heaven or whatever we want to call what the end is going to look like, but no, I think that I think it always has to be challenging and convicting and stirring something, whether it's hope for those that are oppressed, like finally someone saying something, or terror and anger for those that are um, in power and that are upset by that challenge. the The only reason we challenge is because there's hope. There's the the whole idea. Like I think hope is the 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 thread that pulls prophecy together like that's the point of it
2: yeah but but don't
0: talk about the future jeff
2: (laughs) (laughs) no well it seems like the the comfort also can be not just comfort but it has a to me in reading biblical prophecy and hearing prophets today like martin luther king the imaginative aspect is not just like, hey, we could have a better reality, but it's like, no, it's going to happen. I'm going to speak it into existence. Right. I'm going to proclaim it yes. from the rooftops until it becomes real. So there's actually like, not just an imaginative, but the create the creative creation aspect of like bringing that new order that is God's will and God's heart into existence, like with f- like force, like peaceful force, but like with force, with power, with like, no, we are not going to handled it. We're not going to accept this old thing anymore. We're going to bring this new thing in and we're going to say it until it becomes true. The
0: the hinge for all of that for me, which may be different for you guys, is that it is both simultaneously divine and human. It comes to us from God. Like that's, That is what the prophetic is built on. And it's 100% human if you look at prophecy or the role of the prophet or the spirit working through people. It's 100% human. I think it could be flawed or whatever uh but that it doesn't just arise from us like this prophecy we're talking about um is different than the sort of like utopian thing that we can just imagine and kind of create on our own this is partnership and participation in the life of God for this planet you know what i mean and and the reason i say that I a uh, i didn't really want to talk about personal experience but i guess i i need to I had a dream when I was younger, and this is totally weird.
2: I was hoping you would tell this
0: story. (laughs) Well, maybe not this story. This is probably a different one. But I had a dream of a field, and it was a field with like super tall wheat. And I was walking down this path, and I was like looking at all of it, and it was like this super crazy mystical experience where, like, I just, I didn't even have the theological terms for it because I think I might have been in like ninth grade or something. But I had this impression of like, this is what the future is for all for us. And like, it was something that was so powerfully moving for me that it like affected by my daily living in the here and now. And for me, that's like what, what the vision of God's future does in prophecy is that it like, it inspires those who needs to be inspired. It, <laughs> it inspires fear and in people who are betting on the crappy version of the world that, that they think will always exist. Right. Like, So it's hard for me to talk about this without my personal experience. And the stuff you're referencing is something a little bit different. And we could talk about that too. But Will
2: you please tell that story? (laughs) Please? (laughs) Which one?
0: There's a lot of – honestly, I don't share stuff with kind of anyone in my congregation and stuff. But I've kept a journal for a a lot of years. And I've had some pretty crazy personal experiences that have – Shaped my views of theology. So
2: the story, Alan, that I'm thinking of, it goes to the heart of this question of is prophecy about the future, and can we know the future? Right. Um. You know that what happened with the crash when you. Yeah. Were a kid.
0: Yeah. So and it's happened to other times in my life. Um. But it started. I guess I was like talking to my parents, and um, I had night terrors growing up, which is another story. And those kind of night terrors, you wake up and you you start screaming and stuff, but they can't really wake you up. And they keep trying to, um, parents, if you're listening to this, you might have that with your kids. It's a terrible thing. And one of them was, I woke up in the middle of the night and and my parents were, were trying to comfort me and I must've been four years old. They heard me saying over and over car accident. I can't get out. I'm still in my dream car accident. I can't get out. I was pulling on my leg. Um, and they started praying with me and praying for the car and praying for mommy and daddy and all sorts of stuff. Um, And like the next day, a tree fell in the middle of the road and killed a truck driver and like a branch pierced his chest through the windshield and killed him immediately. And his car swerved and hit our van, which had my mom, me, my great grandmother, who was 92 in the front seat. Uh, my little brother, and my older brother in the back, and I had been sitting sideways with my leg between the seat and the side of the van, and he slammed into the side that I was on, so it broke my leg immediately, and it pinched my leg between the side of the van and the seat, and he rolled our car into the field, and I guess, like, I sat there for 20 minutes um, with the dead guy like leaning on the windshield, about two feet from my face, and so Jesus. Like, a, fi- a, a fire—I <laughs> didn't know for? that
2: part. Yeah, Alan. so
0: a fireman had to like uh, stand between the driver and me so that I wouldn't see it. So when they arrived, they did that and they had to use the jaws of life to get me out. And my great grandmother, she's this German woman, Olga. She kept telling the story how she pulled the car apart to get me out. Like that was her, <laughs> that was her like memory of the the situation. Cause she, she loved me so much. Um, oh, but yeah, they use the jaws of life to get me out. And so all of that like happened and my parents were kind of freaked, like, they just prayed with me over this dream I had of being in a car accident and being stuck. And then it happened, you know, and, and, so like, and, that's... T- and
2: touching and talking about your leg, right? Oh yeah, your...
0: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so that's, that's only one instance. And there has been others that I don't talk about because I, I've been personally scarred by people who talk about stuff like this and the sensationalism of it. And like, um, I think it's unhealthy. And so I don't know what to do. I call myself a cynical mystic because that's how I, that's how I feel. Like, I love science. I love philosophy. I have this like knee jerk reaction to anyone talking about prophecy being future or having dreams about the future, but I myself experience it. So I don't know what to do with it.
1: Well, I, and maybe I it's I just the terminology. <laughs> like, I mean, that is, that okay. is a, I can't imagine going through that, but is should Should we have a different word for that kind of experience that's not prophecy,
0: like a premonition or something like that? Uh, right? well,
1: i I, I don't think premonition reflects how you would interpret that situation where it's it's, you know, saturated with the presence of God. So what right? I, I feel like maybe we're just missing a term to no, to no. really.
2: I'm going to offer that that's actually prophecy, like anticipating the future and the the social justice, like calling out injustice stuff is something else that we've been talking about this whole yeah, time. Yeah, they're different.
0: They're different roles, right?
2: Well, okay. So this, this Alan to me, like, uh, you know, I, I've met a few people in my life who've had these experiences and I, I want to credit that as like, I believe you, I believe that that happened right. and I believe that it's possible for people to anticipate the future. And so but I don't know how it works. Yeah, is it co- coincidence or is if, it?
0: So that's the, that's the question. Coincidence doesn't necessarily imply causation or correlation, right? Like you can't. It doesn't. And, and so for me, it's a routine thing. It's a this has happened more than once, and it is very connected to my spirituality. And so, like, I th- I still think it's very embodied. I think it has a lot to do with, you know, chemicals in your brain and all sorts of things going on. So, it's not this um, – to but me, it's both – chemicals in
2: your brain can't tell you what the future is <laughs> going to happen. No, that – You're I mean- right.
0: But to – but to wake up and say this is gonna happen in the future is wrong you know no, what I mean right like No it's
2: either it's either total coincidence or it's like you have some sort of spiritual gift that other people don't have. let's just presume for the second for a second that it's the second thing um, and presume that it's possible for people to know the future so then what do we do with that Do we go around chasing that kind of gifting do we go around chasing that knowledge? So or, in, my,
0: in my personal experience not speaking from theology or the Bible no like that that's wrong. To pursue ecstatic experiences for the sake of ecstatic experience to me is counter, like completely against the whole reason. That stuff exists in the first place. All right,
1: before before we get too far off the trail, (laughs) I I think that I, uh, I I really disagree with what Mona said earlier, as far as maybe like this idea of like premonition, which again is a rough word, and I don't think fully encapsulates is should be prophecy, and then justice is something else. There's we have a rich prophetic like heritage. I don't think you can just like arbitrarily. Switch them and say, well, this should be prophecy and this. Like that idea of what Alan you've experienced and other people have experienced. I I don't think we can call that prophecy.
2: It is in the New Testament. It's, it's like There's, divination or something. Yeah. It's something Paul, else.
0: Paul in the New Testament encounters New Testament prophets. They call them prophets who like have dreams of, hey, you're gonna go to Jerusalem. I think it's Gaius at one point takes off his belt and says, Hey, if you go to Jerusalem, you're gonna be tied up, right? And so he goes to Jerusalem and actually his prophecy is a little bit off. He says these people are going to kill him but you know are going to come to the prison to kill him but it's someone else, it's the Jews, not the Gentiles.
1: Yes, but anyway. the context is not and again, I don't know how to put this because you put the example out there. So anything I say I'm not diminishing what you experienced Alan. Please, I, I want right. you to understand no, 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 that. I, I understand. But that's not that's not the equivalent of a family driving down the road in their car and having this isolated experience that affects them. This is a record of the early church and how all of it was intention with like, this is the future of the world and we are moving towards creating disciples of all nations. So it's still within that. It's not about like we've talked about before throughout this conversation. It's not about the specifics about what the Bible talks about, but it's about the context in which these things are happening and it's moving movement towards a more ideal version of justice in the world that we live in. And I I don't think that we can take those personal experiences and call those prophecy. I think that's where we've made the biggest mistake and why we're even having this conversation is because too many people have done that.
0: So, so what, what I hear you saying is in like, especially, especially the book of acts, people who function as prophets, as in like interpreting dreams and talking about the future, that is not the thing to kind of bring into our own context. It's the whole mess, the message on the whole. And for people that doesn't actually happen. You don't have people who have these ecstatic no, experiences. That's not what I'm
1: saying. I'm that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that that I I I'm not saying that those things are I, I personally I have a hard time believing it, but I'm not at the point where I would say that's impossible. You know, I'm not right. fundam- that's you not know, that fundamental too. about that. <laughs> but but I would say that if those things are real, which I still believe a part of me does believe, like if I'm honest, a part of me does believe like there's unexplained things, that's fine. But that doesn't mean like, I feel like there needs to be a better word for it. And that it's been miscast as prophecy, not that they don't exist, but it's been miscast.
2: Or maybe it's just a, a type of prophecy, but I'm right. I'm trying to point to the fact that like, the traditional religious understanding of prophecy is the premonition type of prophecy. No, I don't the,
1: think that's the traditional that's one. How I think the, that that's what it's that's come That's
2: how the to Bible be. is written and that's what people have traditionally believed is what I'm trying to say. Or
0: to know things by special revelation. A prophet is somebody who like gets this truth that they didn't know before, yeah. right? Given to them. And so if you go back even before the New Testament, right? You look at the Greek, the Oracle at Delphi. Was a Mm -hmm. young woman who would be in a cave, and the vapors would rise up from the cave and enter her body from below while she stood, you know, sat on a stool, and then she would speak like, kind of like a fortune teller, but also like, oh, hey, this is actually what's happening. Like, speak the 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 reality to the situation. So there's two different roles there, and so the the whole like, hey, this is what's actually happening is how I feel the um how I look at the the prophetic tradition. When when Isaiah stands up to Hezekiah and he says, it's actually wrong that you are building this wall at the expense of these people's houses, he is speaking to the reality of the situation. When MLK stands up and says, these laws are wrong, right? He's speaking to the reality of the situation. And but that's, what makes
2: those so specifically religious prophecy and not just somebody with a uh, an opinion who happens to be really right? Right, like,
0: and, and I think that's the job of the community. And I think that that takes... Uh, I guess the word would be discernment or something, but it takes a a discerning and critical mind and ear to be able to hear that. Right.
2: So maybe we can call one social prophecy, one mystical prophecy, but they intersect like a whole bunch. I don't know. Because can you have prophecy that's disembodied? That's just only spiritualized and has no material anything. I think not. That's why I think that goes against the very
1: definition of prophecy.
2: But there's a lot of mystical you're, it goes against your definition. There's a That's lot what, of mystical right. traditions where yeah. people are talking about uh, in a prophetic kind of vein of spiritual and cosmic realities that are that are very um, the, uh, mystical is the only word I can think. you know.
0: Who's to say the future of the whole planet is different than the future of one little kid, right? Who's to say the future of uh, like I don't I don't divide that stuff up nice and neatly. I mean, like,
2: well, there's the micro on the macro. I mean, yeah, the 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 future of one kid is different than the planet. Sure, absolutely.
0: If that was actually true, right, and and, and that happened, and you know, this is something. And it, for me, it is. Uh, I believe God cares about. Ooh. But but Jeff, you're talking about. Well, uh, I, social I, I, I don't want to admit. I'm not saying that telling being two different things, right.
1: Yeah, and I'm not I, saying, I, that, I, saying do, I don't want that to come across. I'm not saying that that right. didn't happen. I'm not. I'm just saying that
0: it's a different thing.
1: There could why be an explanation for why different? it happened. That's all I'm saying. Right.
2: But why do you want is. it to be outside <laughs> the umbrella, Jeff? Uh,
1: because of the because of the misuse of how the word the prophetic and prophet have been used that it it lumps it in with something that is I I think very different. And I think okay, that, so
2: people steal money. Does that mean money's like? You know, you can only call money like cash and not other kinds of money. Like it it doesn't just because something's misused doesn't mean that you have to completely reframe all your categories. Although you're
0: saying there is a way to use a progressive view of the prophetic tradition would separate those things out. Right. It would say there is this social critique that is different than predicting the future. Right, Jeff? Is that what you're saying?
1: I don't know. I don't know how to uh, articulate fully what I'm trying to say, and I'm sure that most of my reaction to this particular subject is my upbringing and how the word prophet and prophecy came to be such, it came to be the chasing after charismatic, spiritual experiences, and it had nothing to do with the real lives of people that were around who we were. In fact, the word prophetic in these moments were doing more to oppress people and create a system to push people out than doing anything else, which to me was the opposite of when I read the prophets and when I read when, all the stuff that I read about the heart of the people who were the prophets, like Isaiah and all that, and I think that um, there's there's something there's something big and at stake when we talk about prophecy. And I feel like that it has to have its own category always, just as the prophet themselves had to be in their own category and separate from the systems in general. So I think, I think it's because I believe so strongly in my definition of prophecy that I just don't think it should share the stage with any other name.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I, understand where you're coming from in that. I really, I I hear that. Uh, And I, I share those frustrations and uh, deep, like reaction also for sure because i've seen it i've seen it horribly abused i've seen that kind of stuff horribly abused
0: like traveling prophets coming to your church and basically being fortune tellers and stuff right or or
2: or like or like shaming people publicly like like hey you there in the back you have a pornography addiction and you need to get right with god you know like that 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 seriously happened oh yeah all the time all the time all Dude, the time, what the heck? people were called out yeah. in front of
1: groups all the time. Like half all of my adolescence time. was scared to death that someone was going to call me out for masturbating the night before.
0: Oh my gosh!
2: Exactly. So like prophecy was very much That's like terrible. A moral <laughs> arbiter, a moral arbiter, and an enforcer of like cultural um, rules or social rules in the community as much as like probably more than f- future telling and cosmic sort of worldwide stuff. It, it was a lot of like, you need to get right with God and you're going to have a, a great future and a great career or like, you know, God's got his, you know, God's got an anointing on you. Like you should be preaching more or praying more or yeah, it was very much like a, a personal uplift correcting thing. Where, in where were experience. the people
0: in your church that was like, Hey, this whole thing we're doing is wrong like was there a space they for
2: went
1: them? to another church
2: <laughs> yeah they, they're yeah
1: all right well i think we're uh, we're running to the end of our time for this conversation so any final thoughts
2: uh prophecy freaks me out but it's also um really helpful to understand how it works and to know about it so look up resources that are not like popular resources that you would find in a Bible bookstore, like actually go look at some intellectual academic resources about the history of prophecy, like Alan was saying, so you can find a posture for how to interact with this stuff. And then there are wonderful contemporary resources for prophetic people and prophetic imaginers um, for you to tap into like the civil rights movement and a lot of religious people doing prophetic work. Uh, that book Alan mentioned is aw- an awesome place to start. Um, it's a kind of an introduction to liberation theology, which is the idea that um, God has come to free the captives, not just in heaven, but also on earth. And so there's a social justice component to the gospel. Um, that book is called The Prophetic Imagination by Walter Brueggemann. It's very good. I recommend
1: and then I would throw in there with resources, and this will be my final word, um, is uh, The Prophets by Abraham Heschel, and then The Message of the Prophets by Von Rod are also really good. And for all the resources we list, of course, we'll put them in the show notes at com slash 83.
2: And Heschel was a Jewish uh, scholar, by the yes. way. So you'll Which get a different why perspective. why that book is
1: amazing, wonderful, yeah. beautiful.
0: My final thought is that uh, there's a, the main difference is what is actionable between different interpretations of how prophecy look actionable in the sense that, you know, you have a dream and you can, you have to hold it with a certain grain of salt. And instead of chasing the experiences that are ecstatic or whatever, trying to define prophecy in that way, we get way more bang for our buck and we can actually take actions on looking at the way uh, the prophetic tradition has um, been established in the past for that posture And then getting to know our present context and what the spirit wants for our present context and what the spirit of God wants is justice, not injustice. I think for me, I want to spend my time on that, not chasing these little ecstatic experiences that may mean a lot, but um, are not necessarily actionable for anybody else that might be listening to your story. So I don't know if that makes sense. It does.
1: (laughs) Uh, let us know what you think, if you have anything to add to this conversation, and you can do that at irenacast.com slash 83. That's IrenaCast.com slash 83. And for questions, comments, concerns, and suggestions for the show in general, you can always contact us at IrenaCast.com slash feedback. On the other side of the music, we're going to be bringing back a segment called Title Me This. So title me, this is the reverse of our other segment that we do judging a book by its cover. So for judging a book by its cover, we read the title and come up with a synopsis here. We're going to read the synopsis and each of us have to come up with a title for the book. Uh, Last time we did this, we did Christian romance novels and this time we are centering it around. It was so much fun. It was fun. Oh my gosh. It was great. Uh, and then this one in particular is on Christian sci-fi novels. So Yeah. So how this is gonna work, each of us will read <laughs> a scenario of the book and then the other two hosts have to pick a title for it. And it kind of goes to the apples apples thing. So the, the the host can pick whether they got it right or whether they just think it was a funny title.
0: Can I go first? Sure. Sure. Sweet. I'm- I shouldn't even ask permission. This is this is my show too.
2: I predict that you shall go first. Uh,
0: for my book, the synopsis goes: This thought-provoking and controversial story cuts between a violent and bloody present world in which millions of animals are slaughtered daily, to a future America where all meat has been removed from the food chain the unlikely hero goes against the status quo with unyielding determination to set an example of the power of kindness for the benefit of his family and friends.
1: too <laughs> you manage to find one that...
0: Is- <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's both prophetic and vegetarian yeah. and amazing.
2: Oh my God. You are such a hippie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, I found this on accident, all right?
2: Uh, all I can think of is our, of our animal puns uh, for titles, such as "Not in My Bark Yard." <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm going with "Blood Sausage."
2: <laughs> I'm going Very with nice. "Motivation for Change." <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs>
0: the title of this book is "God Does Not Eat Meat." <laughs> <laughs>
2: Okay. Well, there Are you, you serious? Go.
1: I know you can't yeah. be
2: any more straightforward. Did you accidentally
1: like, find that when you were looking for more <laughs> vegan propaganda? No, no, no. Did no. you actually was,
2: order it? And I read went it? to
0: I went to Barnes and Noble and I clicked Christian and Sci-Fi and this was like in the fourth page and I just had to. It's just funny. God does not eat meat. You know? And these
1: titles. I think we talked about this last time, but this is like very <laughs> literal. Like it's. Just, I know.
0: Last time it was like, oh, there's this amazing synopsis and it's like the worst most banal just and a descriptive i descriptive sentence it is yeah the girl who left the castle or something anyway so uh i'm going to go with motivation for change just because you yes! took because
1: it you it took like corny thinny. ass jokes and that's what i went with it
0: i do like blood sausage but i it made me uncomfortable when you said it so <laughs> I'm with the other one
2: <laughs>
1: okay, oh my God. Mona, okay do you have one go first? okay yeah.
2: yeah all right all right, this this book this write up is a real gem. I found like eight typos. Uh, so it starts out saying there's a byline saying this is an excellent book for both religious and non religious people exclamation mark. So nice. Yeah. I'm it pretty sure the author wrote this. Yeah. Okay, while Viola X Mega. The evil robot evil robot master of the Dynamite X Empire continues to wreathe, reeve R-E-E-V-E, wreak havoc in the city of Metromantis under the authority of the Dark Lord Venomous. Something tells Jonah Shields, the father of Luminate X, that it's time to finish the experiment and activate Luminate X2. This robot was specifically designed for a purpose to protect the Earth from the DX Obliterator, a weapon created using the powers from most of the Dunamis Crystals. The clear crystal gets implanted into the Lumina X2, giving the robot more powers so it can fight against the evil Voila, x mega and the rest of the empire try to bring peace so enjoy the continuation of this action-packed adventure as you see what happens when the clear dunamis crystal touches the dark duminous crystal <laughs> you'll be shocked three exclamation points
0: it's not it's not nice to make fun of kids because whoever wrote that has to be in like maybe junior high you, max
2: it's free on kindle you can go check it out i'm gonna I'm go look um, it up. Yeah, I feel uh, like I
0: just got a how-to manual of how all the robots work. That's you'll nice. you'll be
2: shocked. Dun dun dun. Yeah, I mean, I I appreciate the enthusiasm that like this person was like really freaking excited. I like
0: it. I like about it. their story. Yeah, I think it's called Luminati, not Illuminati, but Luminati.
2: <laughs> <It's> <laughs> okay,
0: because of the luminous crystals.
2: Okay,
1: touching crystal tips.
2: <laughs> no. Ah. Why? Mm,
1: that part made me Jeff, laugh Jeff, you're too.
2: just being awkward tonight. That
1: that's part the made point. me laugh. I thought that was the point of this whole segment. <laughs> I
2: guess. Okay, the actual title of this book is The Miracle Robot.
1: Nice.
2: Yeah, The Miracle Robot. Mm, that's fun. That's
0: strangely appropriate for our episode.
1: For your interpretation of the episode. Because
0: people are robots. <laughs> They're just organic robots. Jeff, with are you
2: going to forgive me for that? Organs and
1: stuff. <laughs> I'll think about it.
0: <laughs> who who won? Whose title?
2: I'm going to go with Jeff because it was awkward and that I appreciate awkward humor. There you go. Yeah. There we go. So Jeff did not get the point for you, but he got the point for me for making me <laughs> uncomfortable.
1: <laughs> uh, okay. Awesome. It's a real short description. The, it's like a sci fi romance novel. So here it is. He's a volatile, genetically engineered slave longing for peace. She is a spoiled princess who wants to reclaim the throne and save the world. <laughs> he must help her. That's it.
2: <laughs> That's it? That's
0: it.
1: Zelda. That's pretty much
0: it. No. <laughs> That's the basic plot don't of Zelda right there. not
2: ever knock Zelda in my presence again. <laughs> I'm going to go a slave of my heart.
0: Nothing to lose but your pains. <laughs>
1: what? But your what?
0: <laughs> I don't know.
1: You could have at least said chains, not pains.
0: Yeah, it's a pun on the word chains. Never mind. Because he lives oh, in an excruciating existence, right? I that what get it, it is? It. No. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't stop thinking of Zelda. I can't. The The title should just be Zelda.
1: All right. Well, but I don't know. It's hard to pick which one to go with. So I'll go with yours, Mona, because it was less weird. <laughs> <laughs>
0: less weird. <laughs>
1: the the book is called The Dragon Warrior and the Princess.
0: Nice. That's Extremely that's literal,
1: reason? right? No. <laughs>
2: that's
0: that's what we're talking about.
1: Apparently the fact that he's genetically engineered makes him look like a dragon, which is the only reason I can think uh, Dragon Warrior is in there. But I don't understand. Awesome. Like I've read a couple I was
0: thinking like steroids and stuff not
1: <laughs> all right well i think that'll do it for us this week if you enjoy being here and you want to support irenticast you can go to slash support for all the ways in which you can do that so for this week i'm jeff
2: i'm mona and i'm alan
1: thanks for joining the conversation